Okay, Revelation 19, and um, call me an optimist, I plan to go from uh, 19.11 through chapter 20, verse 3 this morning, but a lot of this is, is here really is so self-explanatory, it, it doesn't need a lot of explanation. Um, <clears throat> so anyhow, let's get going, and I've, I might have... Uh, further announcements later, seeing how things go today. Open up with 1911, we'll read through 14, and we'll just take it in sections. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he has a name written upon him with... which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Let's just stop there for now. Now, I saw heaven open. Now this is, uh, again, this is John being seen a, a big major vision of the future. I mean, think of that. He saw heaven open, and out comes Christ riding a white horse. Uh, this tells us <clears throat> one thing, too, that, as, as other scriptures have told us, that his coming, when he arrives, his coming is going to be visible. He, he won't be sneaking into town. Okay, you won't, the people alive at that time are not going to have to try and find him. Uh, as a matter of fact, he'll be finding them. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> it's like I used to say to the you know, guys that asked, used to get a lot of questions on end times up when I was doing Bible studies up at the prisons. And um, I used to just round around like this. When Jesus comes back, he's, even, he's either coming for you or after you. But everybody... Everybody will be accounted for. One hundred percent of mankind alive is going to be counted for. Now, with us during the church age, assuming we pass away before the rapture, <clears throat> okay, uh, we will be raptured. So, whether we do or not, church age folks are psst, we're gone. We're out of here. We've already been through that. Uh, <clears throat> And uh, we talked about the rapture question, and one of the reasons you don't see the rapture talked about within the the judgments of Revelation, you don't see it talked about at all in the Old Testament, because as we studied, the the rapture is a mystery, or was a mystery to the folks in the Old Testament, just like the church was a mystery uh, to the Old Testament saints. So, let's look at Matthew 24, Jesus Speaking of his second coming, and again, yeah, we're going to be there. Matter of fact, we're going to, verse 14, that's going to be us. Matthew 24, 27 to 31. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. <clears throat> but immediately after the tribulation in those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. We've seen that, remember, we saw that in the 
bold judgments. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn as they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. This is the second coming. This is not the rep. This is the actual second coming. Remember, there are believers, there are people that are going to be saved during that tribulation period. And some will make it alive to the end of that tribulation. But not all the of the tribulation saints are wind-up martyrs. A big number of them do, but not all of them. And so, remember, at the end, you keep reading in Matthew, and you get to the sheep and the goat judgments, you know, where they're separated. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, there's going to be a lot coming. And the, the angels are going to have the... And it's interesting, the angels are mentioned here, but you, as we read through Revelation, the various judgments, the angels are, in, are very heavily involved in all of this, making announcements, pouring out bowls, just doing things. I mean, uh, it's amazing. It's going to be a wild time, and, and we're going to have front row seats to all this, okay? And, and they're very safe seats, I might add. Okay, now back to Revelation, on our way back to 19, let's... Chapter 1, Revelation 1, 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. <clears throat> I, always like, <laughs> I always like to point out, when it says something, every eye will see him. What does that mean? Every, every eye will see him. <laughs> He's not, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, because again, warnings are given all through scripture, it's like, uh, and our Lord gives it to us. says, well, if somebody says he's over there, don't, don't go. That's not him. Because every eye will see him. When he comes back, it's not going to be a secret. Every eye will see him. Okay? <clears throat> uh, even those who pierced him. Hmm. Okay? And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so... Amen. He's coming. Everyone's going to see. And uh, again, the, the, I guarantee you the warning during that time is going to be, because you, you know you've got the 144,000, the two witnesses, and others that become believers are going to be announcing. That's why there's so many martyred, because there's so many sharing the faith. Um, and, and it will be a big time of revival. It will be, there be, will be a major revival going on during that period of time as well. Um, and we're going to talk about more of that next week. We're going to, uh, oh, okay, yeah, I saw this. It's a, it's a blur with these on, but I saw movement. <laughs> I don't quite get the wider Ah, well, we're going to find out, even those who, and all the tribes of earth will mourn over him. Some are going to mourn over him, because they're going to be on the judgment end of his arrival. Okay? And I'm hoping next week I'm going to look at it from the perspective of, like we're going to mention Armageddon this morning and not go into it other than what's in Revelation and and a few verses. But I know there's a lot of questions about a lot of those Old Testament passages, so I'm going to do 
the next time we get together, which will be a, a week after Easter, uh, it'll be the the battle of Armageddon itself, the various nations involved. What, is, what does Scripture say about that? And try to piece it together as best as we can. Okay, I'll tell you, it's... You read you read the commentaries and the other stuff, and it's some of it's a real head scratcher because uh, you have to really be careful. So we'll be in Ezekiel a lot next time. We'll, we'll be in Ezekiel and Zechariah for the most part, and Isaiah here and a little of Daniel, but but trying to tie it all together and then move on. Okay, then we'll move on to the uh, the millennium, the new heaven and new earth. And then I'm thinking about starting a, a new series on basic, on well, the Bible doctrines that every one of us need to know. And we're going to start with the Bible. So, unless somebody has any serious objections. Anyway, okay. Now, back to Revelation 19. I hope that answered it. Uh, and there's other reasons that they're going to mourn as well. And And... That's a passage we're going to get into in Zechariah. This is an extremely important passage, and I want to talk about it and give it the time it deserves. So, yeah, so stay tuned. That one's coming, because I do want to readdress that one. All right, see that you forced my hand. <laughs> I, I tried. I tried to hold it out there. <laughs> but in... Oh, I hope not. But in... I just want him to come back, right? I mean, even even in our lesson, just this this waiting, you know. <laughs> but in Zechariah, it says that while Zechariah is talking about a very glorious portion of him coming back and establishing the kingdom, and Israel has the finally the, the you know the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant, they're all being fulfilled. And yet they are seeing, getting that information, seeing him who they have pierced and mourning over it. And this could be alluding to that as well. Why would they mourn over something so wonderful? Think back. All they have to do is just think back from whatever time that is out there all the way back to when Jesus first came that's causing, wouldn't that cause you to mourn to know that virtually every one of your ancestors died and went to hell? That is cause for mourning even amongst the joy. That realization hits home. Think about it. Yes, it's a glorious time. Our kingdom is here and those that believe, marvelous. But at the same time, think about the other side of that coin. It's like, oh, they now realize, oh my goodness, we, how could we be so terribly wrong? And look what it, look at the price that that being wrong costs. See, there's going to be mourning even amidst the joy because of that, that just putting those pieces together. Just putting those pieces together. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're talking because they're very <clears throat> much tribal you might say very much uh, into the, the kings you know their their kinsmen and they just to know that oh my goodness and see they're gonna they're gonna be coming to grips with things like isaiah 53 which the uh 
Jewish people once viewed as messianic, but then post-Christ, they flipped on that and they now allegorize it to mean virtually nothing. So, yeah, see, all that's going to come to bear. All that's going to weigh on them too, you know. So it's joy and sadness mixed. But as the scripture says, immediately following, they will wipe away all the tears. So it won't last. It won't last. But anyway, I was trying to save that happy note for another day. <laughs> but now the white horse, back to 19, riding the white horse. Um, again, it's symbolic of the victorious. Victorious Roman generals would, would often ride white horses. They come back after a major victory, and they'd, there'd be a triumphant procession through town, and it shows victory. Um, and, uh, and also the fact, too, there's uh, a little side note, perhaps purity as well. Um, and he's called Faithful and True. I think it's the most appropriate title for our Lord, Faithful and True, one of three titles given to him in this section. He's Faithful and True, um, one, because he will be coming back. But Revelation 1, 4 through 6 it says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so there you are. He most definitely is faithful. Uh, he paid the price for us. Uh, I mean, he's done it all. That's why we're here. He's done it all. Uh, and, and again, in, in, in chapter 314, in the introduction to the... Uh, letter to the Laodiceans, he goes to the, the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? And this speaking of, this is the Lord speaking. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. Isn't that an interesting way Jesus refers to himself? Because this is Jesus speaking here. The, the amen, so be it. Amen. Faith, you know, truly, truly, that you could say that that's that one, truly, truly, I mean, I mean, faithful, I mean, so be it. When he says that, it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> you know, uh, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation, gee, in the beginning was the Word, right? The Word was in the beginning. It's amazing how this book ties together, doesn't it? Anyhow, it's easy to get sidetracked. Such neat stuff in this book. <laughs> okay. Um, and then back to 19, where it's in verse 11. 19.11 says, In righteousness he judges and wages war. Again, we've seen that before. We can look up these passages, but I don't think we need to. Um, <clears throat> except we're right here in Revelation 19. I'll look up, I'll look up that one because it's right in front of me. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 19, uh, where we get that first of the fourfold hallelujahs. It says, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And, and it tells, why? Well, verse 2, because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot, 
who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And we, we can't go back and revisit that one, but again, his judgments are true and righteous. He's coming back, yes, as king of king and lord of lords, but he's also coming back as the judge of the earth. And see, people forget that. And I uh, know there's this goofball ad on uh, one of the radio stations about uh, they've got these, this nighttime, late night call-in radio show. I call it the, uh, the where all the space cadets call in, where they have, you know, have you know, little... Little flying saucer landings and stuff. Oh, yeah, I went in there. Oh, right. Uh, (laughs) You know, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the promos to that was like, oh, they're talking about, everybody talks about, you know, the, and then all these people that are supposed to come back, you know, uh, uh, Islam has one, and they say, Christian, oh, yeah, just come back and and bail them out of trouble. Boy, did he miss it. (laughs) Jesus is not coming back to bail anybody out of anything. He's coming back as the righteous judge of the earth. Yeah, I'll tell you, and I I kind of cringe every time I hear that ad, you know, like, oh, man, these guys, there's a whole lot of people out there, they're in for a very rude awakening, to put it mildly. I'm telling you, they their whole world's going to come crashing down. Well, I'll tell you, well, just going back on Suzanne's prayer request, man, we need to suck it up because things are, <laughs> uh, things are coming, and in our country, things, bad things are coming down the road. Bad things are coming down the road. Very bad things. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about our country. Bad, bad things are happening right now, and bad things are coming down the road, and that's all I'm going to say. Uh, I don't want to get accused of giving a political dissertation here, but just it's, it's going to require courage on the part of the church to, to live through stuff that's, that's not far ahead of us, folks. In verse 12, his eyes are as a flame of fire. Again, it's like you can see the Lord's searching eyes just penetrating the depths of the human heart. Nothing is going to escape his notice. Look at Psalm 33. One of my, just one of those great psalms that, I don't know, we, we all have them. Various passages we find ourselves going back to and reading. Psalm 33 is one of those that I find myself visiting on a semi-regular basis anyway. Um, Psalm 33, verse, beginning verse 12. <clears throat> wish, that would, wish this first one, would, wish, I wish 12 would apply to this, our country. Blessed is, that, is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven, he sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place he looks out on the, on the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from the depths and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For for our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. That's true of the Christian too, isn't it? That, that's, that's one of those, that's, that's a, ever since the fall, that truth is it. This truth applies to everybody, every believer. 
Verse 22, let thy loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. It's a tremendous psalm. It's a tremendous, tremendous psalm. It's even more tremendous if you start with verse 1 and get the whole context of it. But uh, I just wanted to share that part because it's, it's great. And then also it says back to Revelation 19, upon his head are many diadems. Okay, the diadems there are, it's a transliteration of the Greek word diadema. And it just means a crown. It's a crown a king would wear, a ruler would wear, an emperor. You know, they have the crowns. They wear insignias. It's interesting. The dragon, Satan, had seven crowns in Revelation 12. I'm not going to go look these up. But the beast, the Antichrist, had a, had a diadem on each one of his tw- ten horns. Remember this ten-nation confederacy. Christ is described as having many diadems. And I think the, what is it, which, that just kind of describes his rule Many crowns, because he is going to be ruler over many nations, as in all the nations when he returns. Okay, so that's why he has many crowns, because he's going to be the king of them all. Well, like verse 16 says, he is king of kings and lord of lords. And so when he comes back, that's it. And uh, Isaiah 52, let me see if I can get there real quickly. Isaiah 52... Verse 13, behold, this is all part of that, uh, quite frankly, that uh, servant song that goes right on into Isaiah and and includes Isaiah chapter 53. Behold, my servant will prosper. Again, this is speaking of Christ. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so so his appearance was marred more than any other man and his form more than the sons of men. I mean, marred, like dis, totally disfigured. That's what that word is talking about. <clears throat> Thus he will sprinkle many nations, and that word sprinkle there would probably best be uh, translated astonished, like taken back, like, whoa. <laughs> you know, that word astonished. And the next sentence, the next phrase, kings will shut their mouths on account of him. Yeah, when they finally wise up, when it's too late, it's like, wow, man. You know, uh, why will they do that? For what has not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. You know, right now, the picture is like in, you know, Psalm 2, where they kind of shake their fist at God, you know. Uh, Yeah, one day, yeah, they're going to shut their mouths and just be astonished. Like, oh, my goodness. Taken back. But then those days are good. That's... When that happens, when he comes back, it's too late. Repentance time is over. It's over. See, that's again, that's, the, that's going to be the warning of that period of time. Well, that's the warning even in our day and age. Because once uh, every human being, once the old heart stops ticking, that's it. There's no second chances. That's it. That's it. Nope. Cannot be prayed into heaven. And that's me. Twelve years of Catholic school, right <laughs> down the drain. Here I thought, <laughs> and I had to go read the Bible, find it. That's not true. There's no easy road. No, <laughs> no, it can't. Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can buy your buy you out of it. Sorry. Verse thirteen of Revelation nineteen, and he is, 
And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Again, that clothed dipped in blood, you know, at first glance, oh, that's because, you know, he paid the price. Actually, not really. That's not what this one is talking about. It's not his blood in this context. The blood we're talking about here, it's it's a picture of judgment. The blood of his slaughtered enemies is really what this is pointing at. And we'll keep reading. We'll see why in a, in a moment. Um, <clears throat> and it's a, it's a picture of judgment. Uh, we'll just jump down to verse 15. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword that when it, it may smite the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. When you're treading the winepress, you get grape juice on you. You see, that this is the picture of the robe. He's coming down. You see, he's, he came as the lamb the first time. He's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah this next time. And so, he's again, he's not coming to save anybody. He's, he's coming to judge. And his people have already been saved. Okay? Old and New Testament, tribulation saints, all of them, all saints... Their salvation was taken care of at Calvary. So his blood, already been shed, that's done. Remember, what does the Hebrew say over and over and over again? Once for all. I mean, it's, it's just all through the book of Hebrews. Uh, once for all. And so you can read Isaiah 60. We'll probably get into that next time. But And his name is called the Word of God. I put John 1, 1, obvious. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, right? And then verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's where he paid that price uh, in the Word of God. And then verse 14, a question already came up. The armies in heaven... The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Okay, white and clean. Well, what's the, what's the, well, how come we didn't, that's going to be us, that's the church. And some say other folks possibly too, but again, there's a discussion on that that I don't see the point getting into. <laughs> I'm willing to wait and find out. But I know the church is part of that, okay, uh, for sure. Uh, and I think pretty much my, my personal opinion is pretty much that it that's it because the uh, w- which we'll get into um, when we talk about the that the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints while their souls in heaven they have not been resurrected yet and no resurrected body is announced until after the Armageddon and all that stuff is over so we'll get into that uh, when we get there okay um, so now those armies they're clean and white you don't see any, they don't have bows or the dreaded assault rifle or anything. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> they're unarmed. Okay. They're, they're unarmed. Why? Because Jesus does it all. We're just, we accompany him and we stay in our lily whites and just watch. And the, the, our white robe signifies our purity, again, that he gave us. He gave us. You know, again, 
on our, we're on white horses as well who accompany them. You know why? Because of him, we also are victorious. Now that one, I need to go, look, Romans 8. Romans 8. Uh, and, and just never, never, we must never forget the fact that, you know, as the song says, he paid it all. He paid it all. 833. One of, again, one of those favorite passages, I think, for most people. Christian people, anyway. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one, that, <clears throat> who, is the one who condemns? Well, Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of the God, who also intercedes for us. Okay. Um, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And the obvious answer to that is no. None, none of those, nothing's going to separate us. Verse 36, just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. He paid the price. He got us into the position of being saved. And this passage teaches us he's going to keep us in that position. I, I love this. It's, it's like a court. It's, a, it's, very, it's very judicial type truth uh, statements here. Who bring charge against, a charge against the God's elect? The the. the Implied answers, nobody. Why? God is the one who justifies. God is, here's pictures being the judge. And God has already said, declared us justified, declared us being not guilty. And then who condemns? Well, Christ Jesus, uh, who died, he'd rather was raised, and he's at the right hand who intercedes. You've got God, the Father, is the judge, who, who chose us for the foundation of the world, by the way. You've got Jesus Christ, who's our, our attorney. Can't lose. Can't lose. See? You can't lose. We've got the fairest judge in town, and we've got the best attorney money can buy. Money can't buy. <laughs> He's that good. <laughs> Let me bring that one back. <laughs> so, um, anyway, moving on. We've talked about, in verses 15 and 16, Jesus returns as judge and king. Um <clears throat> Verse 15 and 16, from his mouth comes a sharp sword that with it that with it he may smite the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and, and, tre- and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh his name was, uh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I just had to stop there. A sharp sword. The sword again, be instrument of death. As a matter of fact, in Acts 12.2, it says one of the, the apostle James, the brother of John, James and John, son of Zebedee, he was put to death, executed with a sword. In Romans 13.4, talking about governments, seeking the, the, the governments do not carry the sword in vain. That is it's symbolic of capital punishment, by the way. Um, that's what that 13.4 is. And then from, from his mouth... Again, but the instrument of judgment, it's, it said from the mouth comes a sword. That sword is, it's not a literal sword that goes flying around killing people. But it's his, that power is the, his, his words, 
his words. Remember, this is this Jesus. If you go back, you compare um, John chapter 1, those first verses. He's described as the creator. Colossians 1, described as creator. Hebrews 1, described as a creator. Those great chapter 1s, don't forget that if you're looking about passages on the deity of Christ. John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, Revelation 1, the Alpha and Omega. He describes himself. But um, <clears throat> here we are, and he's the creator, and uh, that's the kind of power we're talking about. He has creation. We saw that. We see that through the Gospels, too. Feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000. Uh, some of his uh, acts of healing were actually acts of creation. We have, a like, the man that's a, a paraplytic from birth. There was no muscle tissue of any value. There was creation going on there in a lot of these things that he did. And um, so the, the, the same God that spoke creation into existence can speak uh, death judgment on the spot. He doesn't need a weapon, <laughs> per se. Well he, he, well, he put the old one back on. Yeah, oh yeah. I think so. I, I, I think this text actually says that. Yeah, that he. Yeah, it didn't go into a lot of detail, you know. But there's old Peter. I, you know, yeah. Well, that was a, that was another another great Peter faux pas there. But anyway, because I think he was swinging for the whole head and missed. But anyway, <laughs> he, he was going for the fences and got a foul ball out of it. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, and then verse again where it says. Uh, Verse 16, I believe it is. No, still 15. He will rule them with a rod of iron. Now, that's a very interesting statement there. That word rule is poimano. If that, that means to tend, the word means to tend as a shepherd would tend its sheep. It's the same word used in 1 Peter 5 2 about elders, shepherd, the flock. So, wait a minute, shepherd with a. Now, elders are not to rule with rods of iron. Okay, or sticks of twigs or anything else. <laughs> That's shepherd. We're supposed to shepherd as a shepherd with a sheep, kindly, by the example as we read in the New Testament, like you know, John chapter ten of our Lord, you know, being the good shepherd. Okay, uh, the rod of iron is because when he comes back. And we're talking about he's coming back in judgment. You've got a bunch of, he's, he's not shepherding a sheep of believers. He's shepherding, a, and so it's, it's, it's a rod of iron to knock people into position. So, I mean, just think of it in those terms. He's going after wolves. He's, yeah, he's, well, yeah. And he says he'll rule them with a rod of iron. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't mention sheep. He just says a rod of iron. That's, that's the key to this, the rod of iron. You don't see that... Um, Shepherds has a staff, just a staff, a little hook on there, just corrals them up. But yeah, just think of that and then put that in opposition to in John 10, where Jesus says, you know, well, let's look at John 10. I mean, it's, it's, it's worth it. We've been there a lot, but over the months, it's again, it's one of those, those great passages that uh, one tends to keep going back to. 
I'll pick it up, verse 14 of chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Okay? Right there. You don't need a rod of iron when you've got this situation. Um, Even as, as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. You don't need a rod of iron for that. See what I mean? Um, and I have an other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. Again, the rod of iron, not even in play, not even thought of in this context. So the rod of iron is in the context of the unbelievers, not the believers. Okay? So just think about that. And how exactly is that going to work out? We're not told. There's other passages we'll look at later that might give us more hints on this. But again, again, in the context of uh, Revelation 19, that he is coming back as judge. Okay? Judge. And the, the believers don't have a thing to worry about uh, his second coming. It'll be a great relief to them. Believe me. It'll be a great relief to them that live there during this mess of a time. Because when he comes back, their persecution ends. Their persecution ends. Okay? Now, that verse 16, and on his robe and on his thigh, his name is, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Again, this is the third name applied to Jesus. We've already saw it. Verse 11, he was called faithful and true. 13, he was called the Word of God. Here, he's called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I would like to back up to Zechariah. If you hit Matthew, then you back up Malachi. <laughs> and one page past Malachi, Zechariah 14. That's the last chapter. 14.9 says this. King of, remember, King of Kings and Lord of Lords in Revelation 19. Zechariah 14.9 says, And the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. The Lord will be the only one, and his name the only one. King of kings and Lord of lords, he is it. He is it. That's why, you know, uh, remember said he has many diadems, because he is king over all the nations. See that? There is no little sub-kings. There doesn't need to be. He is king of kings and lord of lords. Then back to Revelation 19. We may go back to Zechariah in a little bit. If not, we will be there. <laughs> we, have, we have now the what I call the carnage of Armageddon. And just briefly go into that. We're going to look at Armageddon by itself as a supplement. No part 13. I didn't want to go there. So 17 through 21. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds of prey which fly in the midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of the commanders and the flesh of the mighty men and the flesh of the horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horses and and against his army. 
and the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse, and and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Makes you want to go and have a picnic, doesn't it? No, but there's <laughs> this another another one of those angelic announcements. The birds of prey. <coughs> hey, birds, supper's ready. Look at Ezekiel thirty-nine. We have time. Ezekiel thirty-nine. This is a comparison. Ezekiel thirty-nine seventeen to twenty says. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every kind of bird and to every beast of the field, assemble and come gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I am going to sacrifice for you as a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat the flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. So you will eat of the fat until you are glutted and drink the blood until you are drunk from this from my sacrifice uh, which I have sacrificed for you and you will be glutted at my table with horses and charioteers with mighty men and with all the men of war declares the Lord God wow I mean it's I'll tell you it's not a pretty picture Um, I mean you you compare that which we'll look at when we do the study of Armageddon because it's Zechariah 14, 1 through 13. He gives a whole description of that, of the battle and how it works out and how actually God uses people. You're going to see people from the tribe of, it's just from the tribe of Judah is going to rise up and start wiping people out. There are going to be people that are, uh, the Lord is going to cause armies to start killing each other. Just Making him crazy. I mean, just literally, the word of his mouth. I mean, it, he see he he doesn't need, he doesn't need the he is the weapon. The Lord speaks it. It's going to happen. It's it's nuts. I'll tell you, it's a wild, wild, crazy time, and it just it's ugly. It's going to be ugly. It describes the uh, it describes the in uh, other passages where the. The blood's going to flow for miles up to the horses' bridles. I mean, this is gory. This is gory. I think if you made a movie up about this and were and held to the biblical description, I don't think it would get. A, I think it would get such a quadruple X rating they wouldn't be able to show it anywhere. It would be very gruesome. Of course, I guess with some of the stuff they're showing now, this is child's play. But anyway. But it's no, it is it is as gory as it sounds. That's what's going to be. I mean, they're they're not. This isn't hyperbole. This is <laughs> this is ugliness. But then, so is sin. It gives you an idea how God pictures sin. Look at the ugliness being dumped on sin by Him. If you if you ever smelled a decaying human body, you'll never forget it. Trust me. You'll never forget it. Now, this is the good part. 
And I, the victory is won. <laughs> 1920 to 20 verse 3. Well, we see here in the verse <clears throat> in, in 1920, we've already read it, the, the beast, which is the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're, they're just described here as being picked up and thrown alive into the lake of fire. <laughs> so they hit the lake of fire, I would say instant death there, and then whatever those uh, bodies are that uh, dead people have that will be in the lake of fire, they have them, and they will stay there forever and ever and ever. In verse 21, the remainder are killed. Um, <clears throat> again, that's the, those that followed him, those are people in the armies, his armies, civilians, who knows. They're, that, that's it, the remainder are dead, wiped out. And then verses 1 to 3, and we'll end with this. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the, of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. We'll deal with that when we get to the millennium. But the abyss that is spoken of, I believe that's the same abyss spoken of, and we've dealt with this before. In First Peter chapter 3, Jude 6, I believe that's where those demonic creatures of Genesis 6, 1 through 4, remember that ran around during the time of the Nephilim? Okay. And uh, also I believe it's that same pit we saw back in Revelation 9 where those that pit was opened and these creatures came, these weird looking creatures came up and stung people and that stung lasted for five months. I believe that's the, I believe that's the same pit that these folks, these demons were tossed into who left their first estate in Genesis. That's that same abyss. Satan will be confined in there for a thousand years. And then that thousand-year period is the millennial kingdom. And we'll talk about that when we get there. And uh, we made it. Kind of. Sort of. Let's close. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we especially thank you, Lord, that you indeed are the eternal word that came. And you put your word in our hearts and brought us into your kingdom. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.